The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and listeners, I have a confession to make. I woke up at 5.20 today on the day of recording. Not a big deal for me. I'm a morning person. I had my coffee and I did my New York Times spelling bee, but I also knew and just had lingering in the back of my head that I have some plants that I need to get into the ground. So before the sun had even risen in the sky, I put on my boots and I started gardening. Yes, I was out gardening in the dark, but you know what? My yard is coming along, and so it was absolutely worth it. Today's guest is author Todd Myers, whose book, Time to Think Small, How Nimble Environmental Technologies Can Solve the Planet's Biggest Problems, is coming to a bookstore near you today, November 1st. Happy Pub Day to our guest. With nearly two decades in environmental policy, Todd Myers' experience includes work on a range of environmental issues, including climate policy, spotted owl habitat, old growth forests, and salmon recovery. Currently, he serves a mem- as a member of the Puget Sound Salmon Recovery Council and was a member of the executive team at the Washington State Department of Natural Resources. Todd is the environmental director at the Washington Policy Center, a market-oriented think tank in Seattle. His writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the BBC, National Review, Seattle Times, USA Today, and he has appeared on numerous news networks. Recognized as a national leader on free market environmental policy, Todd serves on the board of two national center-right organizations, the American Conservation Coalition and Conserve America, both friends of this show. He and I will talk about his book and solving this greatest global challenge, climate change, and other environmental challenges. Stay tuned, listeners. My conversation with Todd is coming up next. Listeners, welcome back. Always happy to be here with a fellow author. I don't think I can call myself an author yet, but I will someday be an author. So then we will be fellow authors. Todd Myers. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. And if you're struggling through the process of writing, you're already an author. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Um, Happy Publication Day, Todd, to your book, Time to Think Small, How Nimble Environmental Technologies Can Solve the Planet's Biggest Problems. I can't wait to get my hands on this book. Listeners, you should go grab a copy too. Todd, what inspired you to write this book? So I wrote a book um, about a decade ago called EcoFads. And what that book was about, um, so I've been working in environmental policy for more than two decades now. And what my first book was about is what I saw about how we made policy decisions in, in politics. And it was based, um, this won't surprise a lot of people, based on a lot of things that make us feel good, even if they don't necessarily work, um, based on, you know, sort of special interest politics, based on the fact that politicians often don't have the information they need to make good decisions. And so in the absence of that uh, information, they make decisions about what they know, which is what's going to be popular. And so I thought a lot about how you solve that problem. And while I was thinking about it, I started to notice lots of people doing really cool things with small technologies 
to solve really difficult environmental problems. And one of my favorite, you know, we hear all the time that, you know, well, we have to have government solve these problems. That's what solved, you know, Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act. Um, we have, that's the approach. But one of my favorite sayings is that the man who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the woman who is doing it. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of people who are not waiting so for politicians, for government to solve really big environmental problems, not just climate change, but ocean plastic, uh, species protection, uh, water scarcity, all of these things people are finding really cool solutions to that don't involve government intervention, that involve innovation powered by market forces. And so that's what Time to Think Small is about, is that we tend to think that big problems must have big solutions. But in many cases, what we're seeing around the world is that small efforts that can scale up are the best way to go to solve these difficult environmental problems. So do you have, uh, I know you probably do, an example of yeah. a small effort that has uh, big results? Yeah. So uh, ocean plastic is one that I mentioned. Um, people tend to get caught up in climate change, and that's very divisive. But I, I have never talked to anybody who wasn't concerned about putting trash, plastic into the ocean, because it doesn't biodegrade. It causes harm. We, we all know that. The challenge is, how do you address it? Because the vast majority of plastic and trash that is going into the ocean is not the United States. Sri Lanka puts about five times as much plastic into the ocean as the entire United States combined. That's where the problem is developing. It's in developing countries. So there is a, a program called the world's largest ocean cleanup called the ocean cleanup. And they have these big things that are in rivers that collect trash. And then they have these big boats and nets that are going out to the garbage patch to pick up the to collect this trash. And they have collected so far about 4 million pounds of, of plastic trash in rivers and in the ocean. That's pretty cool. There's a lot yeah. more to do, obviously. But there are two guys who are surfers who got tired of seeing trash where they surfed. And so they came up with an idea called Sea Bin. And Sea Bin is just a floating garbage bin that has a pump at the bottom that draws in water and with it, it draws in trash and then collects that and then you can empty it out. Um, so they developed this. They actually just crowdfunded it. They didn't have any money themselves. So they went out and went to crowdfunding. And now Seabin, uh, they're all over the world, mostly in marinas, but now they're in the Great Lakes and a bunch of different places. They have collected 7 million pounds of trash doing that. Wow. So the world's largest ocean cleanup, which they will tell you on their page, has collected 4 million pounds. But these two surfers developed this technology that has done almost double that. Now, that is not to denigrate the work that is being done on the, great, on the garbage patch and the, the ocean cleanup. They're doing very hard work. And in some ways, what they're doing is harder. But it just shows you the power of small ideas. And even that is not the best example. There is a group called Plastic Bank that works in developing countries and pays people to pick up plastic on the beaches that would wash into the ocean. And they pay them using smartphones because a lot of these people simply don't have bank accounts. So they just pay them what's essentially a cryptocurrency. They geolocate using the GPS where the trash was collected. And then they recycle it and sell it to SC Johnson. So when you buy a Windex bottle, it says made with ocean bound plastic. Uh, and they use blockchain to show 
where the plastic was collected so that you can be sure that SC Johnson, when it says this is ocean-bound plastic, it truly is, right? It's, there's no greenwashing, it's transparent. But it's very simple technology. It's phones, it's you know distributed ledger. With that simple technology, they have collected 130 million pounds of plastic, more than 3 billion plastic bottles. So again, using sort of the, the world's largest ocean cleanup at 4 million as sort of the metric, CBIN has done 7 million and Plastic Bank has done 130 million. It is the two small efforts that have done the most and been the most effective while the world's largest is catch is working to catch up. Well, and, and I, I'm just going to pick on the word small here because I think what's small is not the idea, right? We all have big ideas. Like I think about things I sit around and talk with my friends or my kids about, and they're big ideas, but there's, we're small, right? So we don't have corporate backing. We're not, um, we're not a company. And so the small factor comes from the fact that with your surfer example, right? It was two people just really passionate. What can we do? But then their idea, like no, no one person or two people or whatever is so small that their idea can't be realized. That's right. Because technology, the cost of technology, the cost of information, the cost of collaboration um, is so low now um, that the barriers that previous, previously existed um, haven't gone away, but they're so much lower that small efforts can scale up. So yes, eventually you want them to be big, right? You want them to go from small to big, but you don't, the, the cost of starting up is very small and the barriers are very low. And that is what I want people to realize is that rather than be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the problem or the magnitude of the effort that needs to be put in, no, you can start small and make big differences. Well, and I think that it, that what you just said is increasingly important because all of these are big issues, right? Plastics in the ocean, climate change, water quality, um, and and it can feel overwhelming if you're just thinking about the problem and you as just one small actor trying to make a difference. But if you take if you let yourself have these ideas, it isn't inaccessible, right? Finding an investor finding a way to get your idea from your brain to the marketplace doesn't have to be a prohibitive, it doesn't have to be a pipe dream, right? It's something that you can make happen. I will take the next step and say that in many cases, small efforts are superior to big top-down one-size-fits-all efforts because they are more adaptable to local circumstances. Not every problem is global in scale. A lot of important environmental problems are very local in scale. So I'll give you another example. In Ghana, in the capital, they had a problem with power outages. Um, but the utility didn't know, you know, who, whose power was out. People had to contact them and they had to try to figure out where it was. So some students at uh, Cal Berkeley put together an app on people's phone. And all the app did was say, okay, if you're if your phone is charging and has Wi-Fi and is stationary, you're all good. But if the power, if it, if it suddenly stops charging and loses Wi-Fi and it doesn't move, right, which would indicate that you took it out and moved, then what it does is it sent a ping 
to the utility to say, we think the power's out here. Um, mm-hmm. And what the utility would see is all of a sudden, like, you know, we would get 15 pings in one area and go, right. ping, okay, ping, ping, ping. Yep. there's a power outage right there. <laughs> and we know basically where it is and, and how to diagnose it. The simplest of solutions, right? It's just a very simple app. Um, and yet it very powerfully improved people's reliability of electricity. Um, there are other examples in um, African villages where there's access to water, where they have internet connected pumps. Again, these are local and small in scale, but because technology, the cost of technology is so low and you can do small things affordably, you can solve those problems uh, on a local scale affordably and effectively without having to have sort of a government top-down approach. So your book, do you list all these different examples? Do you offer any sort of how-to? Um, what yeah. What is the, what are you hoping to get out of it? What are you hoping that readers get out of this? So fundamentally, sort of the overarching message is that I want to mind I'm going to shift our mind frame about how we solve problems. When we think about climate change or other big problems, we assume that it has to be sort of a big effort, government, United Nations, that sort of thing. And so my my basic message is no, that innovative environmental technology with market forces um, can is the way we should be solving a lot of these problems, including the biggest problems that we face in the world. With regard to individual lessons, I give two things. One, sort of if you are interested in solving environmental problems, here are some new ways to do it. You don't, your goal shouldn't be to lobby. Your goal should be to innovate. Uh, What's so interesting is, is that like the World Economic Forum and the UN, they'll say like, here are five things you can do to help climate change. And all five of them are basically politics. None of them are how you can take personal action to reduce CO2 emissions. None of them are how you can, you know, uh, innovate to reduce CO2 emissions. None of them are actually about your personal effort. All of them are about giving power to politicians. That's backwards. So what my book talks about is how you can find ways to solve individual problems. And there's lots of people solving individual problems with regard to climate change and elsewhere. But the second thing is, let's say you just want to, you know, do something yourself. There's lots of tools that you can do that. So I can tell you um, exact right now exactly how much electricity my house is using because I have a little thing in my electrical box called Sense that hooks up to the two cables, electrical cables. It uses artificial intelligence to determine the unique signal of every appliance in my house when it turns on and off and how much electricity it's using. And then I can look at that on my phone and determine where I'm wasting electricity. And just by changing my light bulbs, I found that I paid for buying them and paid for the sense. There are those tools that people can put in their own houses so that even if they don't wanna solve a larger problem or start a movement or you know innovate, they can save money, reduce CO2 emissions, and do good for the environment themselves. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Well, and I think that that is an important um, 
it's important for people, you know, not everybody wants to be a lobbyist, right? Not everybody wants to reach out to their lawmakers and not all lawmakers are going to be receptive to what your message is anyway. And so it's empowering to have these options or to think, um, hey, I can be part of the solution. I can do X, Y, and Z, whether it's here in my own house or I, the surfer guys that, that had their um, innovation. And so I think that it does give you more of a sense of belonging to the solution and owning the solution. Well, and it's effective, right? I mean, I think that owning the solution and belonging is very important. One of the things that I tell people is don't outsource and environmental issues are too important to outsource to politicians, right? You need to take (laughs) control themselves. Um, And, and, but, but people say, well, okay, I saved a little bit of electricity. What does that do? Does that make any difference? And yes, and we actually have really good evidence from just two months ago. So California was facing an energy crisis where they had energy shortages, where um, they were facing blackouts. And the state sent a text to uh, selected utility homeowners, customers, not residential customers, not just like big people, but residential customers and said, look, we're facing blackouts. If you can save electricity right now, please do it. Within five minutes, five minutes, their demand fell so much that it averted the crisis and the amount that demand fell was more than all of the battery power that was being provided at the time. One text was more powerful than all of the battery power in in California. So each individual person who turned off some lights, who didn't use their dishwasher, things like that, may have felt, I don't know if I'm doing anything, but I'll do it. It made a huge difference. And and so that's why I think that people need to not underestimate the value of those, of the aggregated impact of all of those small efforts. Um, And that's really the message I want people to take away is do those things that you can do. There's a lot of things that can help climate change, ocean plastic, these sorts of things. Um, And they really do make a difference. And don't be fooled by people who tell you that only big efforts make a difference because that's simply not the case. Well, and I know you said at the top of the show that um, most of the ocean plastic does not come from the U.S. Um, I am sitting here as we record with my water bottle, my reusable water bottle, and I love when I'm in an airport or, you know, out and about in the world and I see the water fillers and they have the, um, the little ticker at the top, little counter that says how Ooh. many bottles of water you've prevented from, you know, ending yeah. up in the oceans or ending up anywhere in a landfill sure. because you use that. And, and to me, that's motivating. I love to see that number go up while I've got my little water bottle underneath filling up my water. That's great. And I, and look, I think a lot of those things, quantifying those environmental benefits is something we can now do thanks to technology. And so I think it's really useful to to tell you, look, you actually are making a difference. But I think one of the most important things to me about technology and environmental innovation is that it is independent of politics. So the foreword to my book is written by a woman named Talia Speaker, who works with a group called Wild Labs, which is part of the World Wildlife Fund. I am generally on the center right. And yet 
She and I agree that technology yeah. is doing really cool things because it takes the it takes the politics out of it. And you can think that climate change is an absolute hoax, but if I tell you, here's a way to save 10% on your gasoline, on your electricity, they're going to do it. Um, and if I say, instead of buying electricity during peak hours, like 6 p.m., when it is most expensive, turn on your dishwasher, your, your clothes dryer, those sorts of things at 10 p.m., you will save money. But the other thing it does is that it, Energy is less carbon intensive at 10 p.m. than it is at 6 and 7 p.m. because the additional energy that you're generating is typically by turning on a, a natural gas or a coal plant. It's also more expensive. So technology doesn't rely on the fact that people are worried about climate change, ocean plastic, all these other things. It simply says, here is a, an incentive for you to reduce the impact on the planet. Um, and you have the knowledge about how you can do it best. And we're going to empower you to do that. That's the exciting thing. It's not contingent on the next election working out the way you want, because technology will always get better. Whereas with environmental policy, it can be one step forward, one step back. Uh, which is very, very frustrating. Well, our our listeners have definitely heard me um, share this story before, but my dear friends have a 15-year-old who one day, you know, we were having happy hour. Um, he wasn't feeling so happy. He kind of did the, you know, why bother? Why bother with school? Why bother with anything? Climate change, we're all going to be dead in 10 <laughs> years. And I was like, whoa, 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 back up a second. And what I said to him was there there, we will solve this issue because there is money to be made in solving it, right? Mm -hmm. So there is money to be made in the innovations that we need. And so you, not that you need to just go back and sit and rest, do your part, but you don't have to feel that sense of despair. And um, I think any way that we're giving the future, future of America that, um, that sense it's it's a good thing and he's going to go to college and study um environmental um he wants to be a um sort of he's not an engineer type but and he's not a policy type but he wants to kind of go for i think the sweet spot that you're talking about so how do you find those achievements that aren't tied to the political structure which we know is dysfunctional but that is going to be rewarding and effective and mostly effective um, and in the effectiveness rewarding. Yeah. I get really frustrated by politicians who play up the doom because then they say, mm -hmm. and since we're all doomed, you have to give power to me. I just think it is a very cynical ploy to give themselves more power and make themselves feel good. And it really frustrates me. Right. And the, the end of that ideology is what we're seeing now with people like destroying works of art so that they can be YouTube famous and show how righteous they are. And what's so interesting is, is that in the statements that these folks make who then de who destroy the art, they say, oh, people are starving, people are energy poor. It's like, okay, I can tell you programs that will feed those people and will give them renewable energy and will make their lives better and help the planet. How about doing that? Instead of being destructive, but the political impulse too often ends up as a destructive impulse, whereas innovation is a, you know, positive 
uh, impulse that helps make people's lives better and helps make the planet better. And so, you know, that's, I'm really sort of happy my book is coming out when it is (laughs) because, um, you know, for people who are sitting down at Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner and saying, we're all going to die. Hopefully my book can be, it's like, well, here's a, here's a better way to think about this. Here's a way to do something positive rather than despairing. Um, you know, every year there are these sort of articles to say, okay, during Thanksgiving, you want to talk about climate change um, with your crazy uncle. Um, and whenever I read those articles, I always think of, you know, the crazy uncle is actually me. It's me they're talking about. <laughs> um, and so what my book can be <laughs> is, you know, what I hope my book can give people is tools to say, look, I get it. You're concerned about the planet. That's awesome. We should want to leave the planet better than we found it and better. But these are productive, positive ways to do that rather than sort of negative despair oriented, destructive ways. Listeners pick yourself up a copy of time to think small, how nimble environmental technologies can solve the planet's biggest problems out today on the day that our podcast um, is dropping November 1st, 2022. Todd, I hope you have a second run and a third run. I hope sales spike and, uh, we might have to have you back next year. We're thinking of adding a book club series. So I think that could be a lot of fun. Get some of our listeners together to read your book and have a little discussion about it after. If you're into that kind of thing, let me know. And we'll, we'll work that out on our 2023 calendar, but I appreciate your time today. It was a very fun conversation. I would love to talk with you guys again. I really appreciate the good work that you do. Well, Price, I don't know about you, but I was really moved by this book. Um, I can't wait to get my hands on it. Time to think small, how nimble environmental technologies can solve the planet's biggest problems. It's now at a bookstore near you. So go order it, get it, and see what those things are that can empower you to be part of the climate solution. Yes. And I thought one of the things, uh, I guess maybe one of the biggest things that Todd mentioned and talked about was the little things that you can do, you know, the little things that you can do to make a difference. I thought that really jumped out because oftentimes people think, all right, I got to do something big, like you go big or go home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But no, it's just the kind of the small incremental things that you can do. You know, you, you can think big, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, small things all add up to make a big difference. That's right. And I think that if you take him, um, his book and you um, read it, you know, side by side with Heather White's One Green Thing, where she helps you identify what your climate superpower is, you might find your things that you want to do in Todd's book. So I see real crossover appeal for for those books. So, hey, listeners, you're looking for holiday gifts, grab Todd Meyer's book. And while you're at it, grab Heather White's book. And then in 2024, you can grab my book. (laughs) (laughs) That 2024 book is the book I want to go grab. Because you are the budding, you're going to be an author. You're going to gain that title soon, very, very soon, Chelsea. Yeah, well, I've got a lot. I've got about 30,000 words left to write before I can... (laughs) Start That's claiming the title. <laughs> jealousy reigns supreme in my body when I hear friends talking about writing a book. And you're not you're not talking about it. You are doing the hard part. You are writing the book. So I'm very excited. I know we're all excited to see what you're going to come up with. The literary masterpiece that is Chelsea <laughs> Henderson. I hope. Um, 
let me hit on some of our new members real quick that we do every week. Judith L. in Wisconsin, Arthur A. in Tennessee, Karen Z. in Colorado, Andrea B. in California, and Joseph L. in Michigan, republican.org forward slash join. That is the place where we need you to stand with us. It takes seconds to do, but republican.org forward slash join. Uh, we need you to stand with us if you are not already doing so. Power is in numbers, and the power is in your voice and in your actions. So we would love to have you standing with us, Shels. Well, speaking of power and numbers, this is our 99th episode, Pricey. You know what that means? Next week, the big one zero zero. Woohoo! Happy 100. birthday to us. I remember yes. when I thought maybe we would do five episodes, but here we are. On the eve of 100. You have come a long way. I'm not trying to backpat you and trying to celebrate one episode too early. But, yeah, when you mentioned uh, when we mentioned doing this, I know we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, next week, but how do I do this? Like, I've always listened, and you've, I mean, you've just become more and more polished, more and more. You know, I got a better mic, too, because I was actually in preparation for that 100th episode. I was listening to the first couple episodes today, and I was like, oh, wow, my mic sounds really terrible. So uh, we live and learn, and it has been a learning experience. And I can't think of a better person to have um, gone on this journey with than you. But we will get mushy next for the next episode. This is just 99th listeners. There's still time to send us your thoughts, your feelings feedback, something you want us to read on the air about the show, something that moves you, or just make a guest request. We're here for you, and we're putting together our season six wish list right now. So, Am I a bad guy when I say I want to make you cry on the next episode, the 100th, the emotional? Does <laughs> oh, that make me a so bad hard. dude? It's so hard to make me cry, Price. <laughs> <laughs> I know you really got to dig into those bag of tricks. I mean, you got to really. I just start talking about your two handsome young sons and oh. what great young men i'm just kidding i will save that for next week <laughs> save it save it save it for next week um yeah so listeners 100th episode i mean could it be more irony i don't think so that it will it will drop on election, <laughs> election day, day. <laughs> yes but 100 100 podcasts of the eco right speaks we have done it but it's not the end. We got it's more to go. And maybe we'll even have a hundred more to go. Who knows? Uh, we can <laughs> go ahead and clip this, mark the tape when we're getting ready for episode 200 that we can just go back and replay. What if we do hit 200? We'll yeah. go back and replay that convo <laughs> from, from today. From today. Um, as it is the day after Halloween and hope everybody had a uh, safe, fun trick or treat day. And, uh, you know, enjoyed all the, all the fun that comes with Halloween and, and having munchkins. Yours are gone. Uh, but it, uh, Halloween is a big deal here around my house. It was my mom's birthday. So, um, it's still something that we, we love to celebrate here around the Atkinson house, Chelsea. Well, I can't wait to see the photos of your kids. And, you know, my younger adult kid was uh, in a costume over the weekend that he needed me to not only buy, but um, overnight <laughs> send to him. So Halloween is still alive and well in my family, too. <laughs> yeah, it's that late college party invitation that he got. That he, Mom, yep. I need some help. Yep. Help. <laughs> Well, we will see everybody and we will talk to everybody next week on that 100th episode. But until now, Chelsea, for episode 99, it is in the books. 
in the books. I'm going to make you cry next week. But until until that, have a great week, everybody. And we will see you next week here on the Eco Rights Speaks podcast. Take care, listeners. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Rights Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.